The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I'm the Executive Minister and Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the Founder. I'm in the midst of a series titled Black Lives Matter, and I've been bringing on guests that I feel can help enlighten and bring perspective to this specific time in history and today i have a guest who i interviewed some years ago and it was a fantastic interview now and i know that she has some incredible insights to bring to this conversation dr darnice martin how you doing there dr martin i'm doing great and thank you for having me on again not a problem not a problem so before we actually get started because some people might not have been listening to the show when i interviewed you a few years ago, I think it was like three, three or four years ago. Now, uh-huh. it, these years they just all come together. Fly by. They fly by. Could you give people a little bit about of your background, what you do, and and then they can become more familiar with what you do, and and give context to your responses as I interview you. Okay. Well, um, I am Dr. Darnice Martin, and I'm a college professor. My day job is a college professor at Loyola Marymount University. I teach African-American religion and history here. I've been at uh, LMU for, I don't know, 15 years now about. And um, I'm also a writer. I have a, one of my books is called Beyond Christianity, African-Americans in a New Thought Church. That was my first published book from 2005. Uh, more recently, I self-published a book called 40-something, 10 Radical Lessons for Women on How to Live in Love Without Losing Themselves. So I would say uh, overall, I'm a person who has been steeped in new thought, and I use new thought principles in my teaching and my writing and my life coaching. I have a website, drdarnese.com. People can find me there on social media across the board. And pretty much, you know, in these days and times, I find myself myself posting things that um, are uplifting and pretty much embodying our new thought principles. 
Beautiful, beautiful. So, as a scholar of black religions, uh, and since we're talking about Black Lives Matter, before we get to some of those specific questions, as a scholar of black religions, what makes religious practices and or beliefs black? Uh, that's a good question. I'm, I'm really working with this idea a lot um, recently because I'm writing a new book, um, and it's going to be about new thought and hoodoo practices, so African-American um, folk traditions and folk magic. And so I'm asking myself this question. I'm, I'm, I'm ruminating again on what it is. And, and when I go back to what I think are, are the sources of at least African-American uh, religious practice, whatever the denomination, like in this case, if we just say Christianity, it's, it's a rootedness in freedom, a focus upon freedom, a, po- a focus upon affirming dignity. It's a focus upon self-empowerment because we've lived in a context here in the Americas where those things have not mattered, right? And so we are in this context now where we, we, we know that they haven't mattered because we are having to speak up and, and clamor about it mattering. We've had, we're having to, to, to teach other people that black self-worth matters, that black lives matter, literally. And, you know, so we have some pushback against that. And, and so I always say, well, Tell me in history where that's been true, that all lives have mattered. So in, in black religion, that's always at the core. So no matter what else people are actually practicing, like I said, Christianity or Islam or whatever it is, if it's a black form of it, it's going to be focused on how do I or how do we uh, embody uh, a vision for, who, for ourselves larger than this moment. Because in the Americas, our moments have been really problematic, have been really brutal, have been really oppressive. And so we've had to reimagine a model. So it's rooted in something other than what is our immediate experience. And so from that, I'm, I'm building out this, you know, the next book. Um, I'm building it out from there because I think we can't really talk about black religion if we're not talking about a freedom-focused religion. Okay. All right. Beautiful. Beautiful. So why is it important for people who are black and new thought to address this particular moment? Um, well, because I'll say it that way again, black lives matter, (laughs) the short version. Um, because you know, new thought has gone under the radar for too long. You know, those of us who practice new thought uh, spiritualities, we we we've come to know and accept some principles that make our lives better. And if we're under the radar, generally speaking, then for Black people, we're even more under the radar. And so, it's important for those of us who are Black and new thought to say, "Hey, this isn't some secret that I want to keep. This is something I want to share, especially." because I see what's happening to my people, my communities. I see, I see um, generational afflictions, if you will, generational poverty, um, oppressive systems that continue to keep us uh, away from the good stuff, let's say, mm-hmm. away from our blessings. And so 
it's up to us who are black at New Thought to say this message has to have specificity. It has to be grounded. It has to have practical application, right? So what I got Ernest Holmes said, you know, you, 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 it's a science, religious science, a science of the mind because it's replicable, because you can do it. And if you, and if you can't do it, something's wrong, right? Or, yeah. or Johnny Coleman saying it works if you work it. Well, you got to work, people have to know it to work it. And so I think it's just incumbent upon us at this point that we, that we specifically show up in this moment and say to black people, hey, here's something that's going to help our lives. Here's something that's going to help our communities. Yeah, they're oppressive systems, but we've got something that we think will, will help. Absolutely, absolutely. As you're uh, giving your points, I just had this flashback of a picture that I posted a few years back of uh, Reverend Coleman and Reverend Ike. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, some people don't know, but they were very close, exceptionally close. You know, uh-huh. he, Re- Reverend Ike used to call uh, Reverend Coleman his little sister, even though Reverend Coleman was older than him. And <laughs> <laughs> and they would travel back and forth. I've had conversations with, you know, um, ministers that were part of Reverend Coleman's era. And, you know, in Les Brown, people who Reverend Coleman would take to Reverend Ike's church. And it made me realize, like, okay, these two iconic black ministers who mm-hmm. were New Thought brought a message of empowerment to a community that was in desperate need of it. And right. as you're speaking about, you know, why black people now in New Thought, black leaders now in New Thought need to make sure that we get this message out, it brought me back to the fact that. Reverend Coleman started in 1956 and Reverend Ike started in 1959. And that meant that they actually started in in the Jim Crow era. Yeah. <laughs> you know, telling right. people you can work spiritual law, you can transform your consciousness, change the way you think and feel and your perspective, your paradigm, your context, and create a new experience. Um, you know, you have you lack health care. Guess what? We're going to teach you these principles to get you healthy. You lack funds. We're going to teach you these prosperity principles. You need success. We're going to teach you how to be successful in the context of religion and how even within our own community, it wasn't always understood and they were attacked. So right. it was it was it, it's, it's this own interesting paradox that. When people sometimes even, and, and this isn't a, I know I'm changing the subject a little bit, but it just made me just process that, that, you know, when you're so ahead of the game, people don't even understand what you're doing. <laughs> they don't even understand the game, right? They're just looking yeah. at you like, what are you doing over there? Which is how I came to write my book, Beyond Christianity, because. Um, in my doctoral program, I, I had kind of, I've come to the middle of the program, which is after you finish your coursework, your language work, your, your comprehensive exams, and then you've got to declare what you're going to do your dissertation on and start, you know, kind of over. <laughs> um, and I couldn't think of anything. I was like, I'm done with this, I guess. I don't know what to do. I was doing a lot of, um, my work had been in early Christian history and talking about Jesus, the man versus Jesus, the God. I was just thinking God, essentially, was what I was interested in, the history of Christianity. 
And I said, eh, I'm done with that, right? And so one of my advisors said, well, what about that church you go to? And it was the Great Church of Religious Science, Elkland. And I was like, what about it? And <laughs> he goes, well, it's this unusual thing that's going on. African-Americans are doing something, and he was somewhat familiar with it because someone in his family was unity or had been unity. And he goes, I, he goes, I don't really know that much about it. He was a Presbyterian minister himself, a uh, black man, but Presbyterian minister. And he goes, I don't really know about it. He goes, but I think there's something there, and I think you should write about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, again, it's like there's this game that's being played, and you know, most people don't even know about it. How about you go and talk about it and, and so that it's not such a, such a secret, right. you know, so that it is something that people can – you know, perhaps even realize that they know. Um, I ended up finding out that one of my aunts, um, she's Catholic, but I was at her house a couple of, this was only maybe maybe five years ago at the most, and I'm sitting in her uh, TV room, and don't I look down, and there's Unity magazine. Mm-hmm. And I go, where'd you get that? You know, we had never had the conversation, but she had been using these principles in her life and knowing about them, but she didn't think of it as a particular religion. You know, as far as religion, she was Catholic. And so this was just something that was helping her in her life. And I think that's what we need in, in New Thought. We need to really get across to people is that this is a, a set of spiritual tools that will allow you to do something and create change in your life. Um, but again, you've got to work it. And and when I when I teach students about new thought, uh, they I have to sort of reinforce to them. You no, know, you have to really. This is the work of it. This is the daily work of it. Like you've got to keep your mind right. You know, you've got to you've got to make an an intention around thinking of things differently, being positive when things look negative. Um, I would always say to them when they this is pre-COVID when we were in the classroom, but, um, and it would be flu season, right? And I'd say, well, I don't believe in that. There's only health and wellness here, meaning in my body, right? And they say, what does that mean? And, and I tell them, you have an exam coming up. Why are you all telling yourself that it's going to be hard and that you're not sure if you're going to pass? Why are you telling yourself that story? Mm-hmm. And they just look at me, I say, because this is what I mean by it's the work of it, or it's maybe you don't want to use the word work, it's the challenge of it, it's the it's what you get to do instead of just being on the default plan, you get to create your story or experience the way you want it to be. So how yes. about you get up and say, you know, I'm going to ace this exam, you know, she don't have nothing on me, I'm going to do well. Yes, yes. Right, and so they start to get it because, oh, you mean... Oh, okay. Well, I can just say, of course, I'm, well, I'm just saying that you know, anything can happen. Why would I can just say that? I'm like, well, kinda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to start there. You got to start yes. there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes. You got to build some consciousness, but you have to start. Exactly. You, you exactly. Know, so, so you know, I, I want to double back to the question of, about the students of New Thought, but I want to ask a specific question about how uh, students of all races deal with this concept of Black Lives Matter? Does that ever actually come to the classroom? Uh, Yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. I live in California. (laughs) I teach in in Los Angeles, and I always remind 
our, the students that um, we're in a bubble here because, you know, students aware of Black Lives Matter, sure, here, people, that's the dominant narrative. Of course, Black Lives Matter. We've got, uh, on our campus now, we've got um, some people have put in their window signs that say Black Lives Matter. So, you know, whereas it can be contested among some individuals who want to say all lives matter, um, there's a certain progressive um, attitude here at this particular university and in California generally. So I'm fortunate in the sense that I don't have to really fight that very much. <laughs> um, and, and in fact, my students are activist oriented. They, they wish somebody would challenge them, right? It could be a white person with a Black Lives Matter t-shirt on basically saying, how dare you to challenge me on that? That's so, great. Right? Well, and so when I, when I think about, when I travel, though, outside of the country, I mean, outside the country, that's telling, outside of the state of California, it's different. You know, I'm like, wow, can I live outside of California again? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I get it. You know, one of the things about, you know, living in, large metropolitan cities is mm -hmm. sometimes you don't get that that's not necessarily the the normal way people think i used to work in the grocery business before i got into ministry and i was in management and i would i was a part of the team that would open the stores for the chain mm -hmm. and i you know we went out to the far south suburbs and that store was pulling people from uh further down south of Chicago and that particular suburb I was in. So it was a guy there who came from a town, little farm town in Illinois, probably, I would say maybe almost close to an hour from Chicago city limits. And he came in, he, he, he was working, he was like a utility clerk, which was the term we use for a person who bagged groceries and pushed carts and, you know, put the stuff back on, on the shelf at the, at the people that said they don't want it. And he and he was having a conversation, and in the most sincere way, he used the term "colored," mm. and I stopped him. I said, "What did you just say?" And and, he, and what he said, he was he was a teenager. He was about sixteen years old, and he said, "Everybody around me says colored," because huh. there was no black people in this town, none. Wow. And I said to him. Be glad you said that in front of me, because I'm willing to have the conversation to help enlighten you about the use of terms. I said, if you would have been in Chicago and you would have said that around around the wrong person, it might not have been good for you. So that was the nicest way I could say it. <laughs> right. I know some people that would have been hair trigger all over that. And exactly. so, so you know, you have people who who are just being raised in a culture to where racial sensitivity is, isn't even a conversation. And, right. you know, and when it's not even in your context, it's hard to be able to do it. And, and I think that that's one of the things that's happening. I'm using the story just in the context of new thought. I think the new thought has been cultured to a certain extent in an environment that doesn't necessarily have to deal with, um, racial issues and it was written by people who did not necessarily either have to or want to deal with it and sometimes they had the prejudices and biases even though they were teaching concepts like the divinity of humankind so right. when you are 
teaching the context of new thought to people, um, especially since we have a tendency to lean on uh, dead authors, you know, people mm-hmm. who wrote 120 years ago. Uh, how do you, how do you, do, when you look at material and you see some things, you're like, mm, this needs to be tweaked. How do you handle that circumstance, especially dealing with young minds? Mm-hmm. Well, um, a couple things come to mind about what you just said, you know, and new thought how people are wanting to or expect to sort of skirt the issue of race. Um, I think there's a certain proclivity towards politeness slash denial. And I, and, and, and so I find that somewhat among my students also, like, you know, I just said we're in this bubble and part of that bubble is these are, for the most part, you know, well-mannered, polite kids who, this particular university, um, come from private schools and, you know, upper middle class neighborhoods. And, and so they know how to be polite. And they might even be, well, I would say they are eager to learn. So when I present these ideas, I, first of all, you know, I, I try and think where I start. I, I, I say, okay, we're going to go into this the spiritual practice and it's going to push you and, and, and challenge some things that you hold as normative. So in my religion class in particular, so your notions about God and your, about who God is and about who you are, who we are as humans. And so I start going in and I start by saying to them, here's this spiritual system that is rooted in how you can make your own life better. Right. And so I, I, I go in at least I attempt to go in on that personal level. And then I got to broaden out, right, and say, where, where does this come from? And, you know, someone will inevitably say, well, first of all, it seems old, you know, from where we are historically, and especially for them as young people. But then they'll be like, well, no, it's, it's kind of new because it's not as old. It's not thousands of years old. So who made this up, right? <laughs> and then, you know, I started talking about, you know, the Fillmore's and, uh, Ernest Holmes and, you know, people, just women, Kramer and, you know, all these white people. And then someone will say, well, so this is, this didn't really apply to black people. And I'll say, well, considering the origin in New England, 19th century New England, so many origin points there, Quimby and, and et cetera, you know, think about where most black, black people were. So this, this, this is a, a geographical and, and just sort of cultural, historical moment where black people were not there. So then I quickly go to talking about Father Divine, uh, Johnny Coleman, and Reverend Ike, to UFBL. Mm-hmm. I quickly go there and I say, so let's look at how black people do this. And then pretty much they just come with me because at that point they realize, oh, okay, this is something that was created and then here's the here's a way that black people do it and and okay so it's like lights click on okay so we can do it too okay but before that there's these questions like who who made this up right which sounds very different from judaism christianity islam they don't say who made that up right um so i've got to kind of get past that and then i start with the here's what here's how you use it look let me show you these people so then I show you the people, and they're pretty fascinated by somebody like Father Divine, and um, who, 
you know, we can look back at him and say, yeah, those are New Thought principles, but he wasn't out there waving a New Thought banner. Right. Because right? he was creating his own um, world, shall we say, his own banner, his own personal theology, if we will. And um, so it takes some time before we get to real black people standing in New Thought. You know, Johnny Coleman, Reverend Ike. Yes, yes, without a doubt. So, and, and, you know, and, and it's just kind of funny how we have about, for the break, about three minutes, just FYI. Um, when, when people start looking at people who wanted to be a part of New Thought, I think if, especially when New Thought was in its, what I would say, heyday, you know, early 20th century, there were people who wanted to be a part of the movement that couldn't get trained, couldn't get licensed to teach or ordained. And it, it, people had to jump through too many hoops. I was, uh, I had a conversation. Uh, it was a very popular uh, spiritualist minister, Christian spiritualism, Pentecostal. He was kind of a, a mix. Um, I don't, I don't want to say his name because this was told to me in confidence that he wanted to go to unity in in the 40s, but they wouldn't or at the, in the early 40s they wouldn't ordain black people, mm-hmm. and you know so he just got all the books, circled the wagons and taught his people secretly. Never said this is new thought. Never said this is where I got it from, and and then when Reverend Coleman started, and then he eventually passed because he was older than her. Many of his people just transitioned over. Mm-hmm. Because you know it's it sounded similar. He wasn't teaching pure new thought. It was mixed with whatever he mixed it with. You know, again, spiritual spiritualist Christianity, Pentecostal, or or, or as my grandmama would say, sanctified. Right. <laughs> sanctified church, right? Sanctified church, and but it's just interesting that there were people who wanted to bring it to the community. I'm a big believer that Marcus Garvey study new thought i believe it wholeheartedly and mm-hmm. you know um I, i've actually talked to mitch horowitz about you know i'm familiar with uh mitch horowitz's work he's also a noted new thought scholar and you know he's convinced of it and he's and he's he's actually uh, i'll send you the information on how you can look that up but it's just interesting how these conversations need to be had so when we got about 45 seconds left before we got to go to the break. When we do come back, I, I want to speak to you specifically about why has new, why has new thought been invisible uh, mm-hmm. in this conversation and how we can be in the space of, of allowing our message to help the black community and help new thought actually live up consistently to mm-hmm. what it espouses and I'll open the the show up for calls. Okay, great. So so let me see here what time it is exactly. All right, we got we should be hearing the outro music in in a second. <laughs> there it goes. So listen, we come back you can call 816-251-3555. We'll be right back with new transforms. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. I have my uh, as a guest today, Dr. Darnice Martin, who is a religious scholar, and we're talking about Black Lives Matter. If you want to call into the show, you can call in at 816-251-3555, 816-251-3555. Call in, ask a question, make a comment. We would love to hear from you. You know, I never know when anybody's going to call in or not call in. So, mm-hmm. you know, we would love to hear from you and go from there. Now, uh, Dr. Martin, uh, why has New Thought been largely invisible in not just this Black Lives Matter context, but in the larger religious context? Um, well, you know, I ponder this myself. Um, well, it's in this, for academics, I'll just say, it's in this little niche called New Religious Movement. And because of that, it really doesn't get uh, full attention academically even, which is why, you know, I can be in my corner writing about new thought and people go, oh, yeah, even religious scholars who apparently know. Um, but also, I, I wonder if, if among us or at some point historically with new thought, if maybe we got to thinking of ourselves as so special that we wanted to keep it a niche. I wonder about that. You know, like, why are we not, I mean, not proselytizing. I don't mean that we need to be going, you know, door to door like some folks. Um, but why haven't we made a bigger splash? Why, why aren't, why is our leadership uh, relegated to our own churches and our own communities, our own conferences and things? Um, and, and I and I just go back and forth. I, I want to ask you why you think so. But I almost want to say, like, we have been thinking of ourselves as a special jewel. And while I might agree with that personally, <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not sufficient, right? Like, part of a spirituality is to serve and to uplift others, I think. And so we're not, we're not living it fully if we're not sharing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I I think that there was at some point maybe and maybe continues to be some sense of like, well, you know, we're not really religious. We're very highly spiritual. We're highly evolved. We're all this or that. And so let's stay out of the fray. Let's, you know, you know, come over here and come up higher. Let's meditate. Let's hold space. Let's treat, you know, and in order to um, keep our minds clear, so to speak, there, there's a sense of like, well, I need to do my affirmations and, and to treat and to keep my mind, you know, positively oriented. I don't want to get involved in low vibration things like the news or showing up at, I don't know, a homeless shelter or something. So I think that there's just a, a bit of a disconnect we've been embodying in the thought where, where it, we, we're, we're so spiritual that we're not being uh, present to earthly needs as, as we need to. Um, I do think, though, that there's this moment that's happening um, 
well, I won't put it all on her, but I'll just say in a moment, Marianne Williamson. I thought to myself, wow, she is running for president. She's on that debate stage. And sooner or later, these evangelicals are going to find out. <laughs> that course in miracles. They, yes. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's channel material from Jesus. They're going to lose their minds when they find this out about Marianne Williamson. And, you know, they're going to just say that she's whatever, new age and occult and all the negative things that they attach to that. Uh, so I said, oh, it'll be so interesting how far she gets because, one, she's speaking principle. Two, she's going to have to answer some questions if she got further, right? She would have to start right. answering some questions about her spirituality because she was already well-known in these other spaces, really well-known in these other spaces. So it's not like she could sidestep it. Oh, that was then. No, no, no. We see all these right. books you've written. We've seen all the places where you speak and on and on. So I thought, okay, so how are we going to respond when the people come for Marianne Williamson, because they're going to come. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that didn't exactly happen, but she's not going to be the last, you know, person, public person. Right, so, right. And, yeah, go ahead. No, I was, I was, I was, what you mentioned made me think about how uh, when the, you know, black liberation movements uh, started and Malcolm X was just going TV shows and get interviewed. He would debate with people like, yeah. OK, you don't have to agree with me or whatever. You know, Martin Luther King would do the same. You know, like, OK, what is this thing you're up to? What is this thing you're about? Well, you say this. And what do you mean by that? And they would have debates with people who sometimes respected them. Sometimes they didn't. But they were prepared to answer the questions. And mm -hmm. uh, I think sometimes with New Thought, first of all, New Thought, leading New Thought people can sometimes be similar to herding cats, you know, spirit didn't tell me to do that, you know, so, so sometimes, you know, our, our, the independence of the theology in and of itself makes it difficult to organize in mm -hmm. no other way for me to say it. Yes. Yeah. And you're right. And then you have what you spoke about, which I call new thought elitism. Oh, that's just uh -huh. their consciousness. Uh, you know, you know, you know, uh, I get protecting your consciousness, using certain language, but not ignoring the problems and suffering of people. Um, you know, Reverend Coleman used to say uh, uh, when she would uh, give people money or help people out, you know, give people what people would call a hand up uh -huh. uh, instead of, I don't like to use the word handout, I'll say a hand up. Uh -huh. She would say that I'm never giving to someone's poverty. I'm just a steward of God's abundance. Now, that was her mm. new thought way of saying, mm. I don't see a person that's in need. I see another child of God. I'm still beholding the Christ as I'm meeting a human need. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. that, and, and that was her way of dealing with the things, not ignoring them. And as I said, I think last week or the week before, people don't recognize or realize. I don't know if I said this publicly on the radio, on this podcast, rather, but Reverend Coleman many times actually paid the payroll for Rainbow Push. They couldn't make payroll. Reverend Coleman would cut a $20,000 check. Take care of your payroll. Wow. Huh. But it wasn't always... But those things aren't recorded. And the only reason why people know it now is because at her transition service, Jesse Jackson actually stated it. Oh, wow. Like, you know, there were many a day that they couldn't... They were trying to make stuff happen 
in, in, you know, 70s, 80s, or 90s, and, you know, you run out of money. Reverend yeah. Carmen's like, what do you need? Wow. And just handle it. Pull out a checkbook. <laughs> well, see, and that's that's amazing. And see, that that speaks to so much, right? It speaks to yeah. her her trust in the flow, right? Like she knew I'm I'm in the flow, so if I cut this check, I'm not in lack now, right? Because other people would have said, "Oh no, we can't give that away. What are you going to do when your own bills are due?" Right? She trusted in that flow, and so and I think you know that's the kind of uh, empowerment we want to share with Black people is to say, hey, one of the things that we can share with you is how to get out of lack thinking mm-hmm. and to, to, to plug into this universe, which is ever abundant and ever flowing. And this doesn't mean you're never going to have a challenge again, but here's what to do when you do have that challenge. You yes. know, instead of thinking of, I need a handout, you know, my uh, minister in Oakland, Reverend E., she would say, um, you know, when people would come to, to talk to her for counseling or advice and she said, you got one, she was a, a older Pentecostal trained uh, woman. <laughs> and she'd say, you got one good time to tell me your story about how awful it is. Everything that happened, she'd say, come on, just get it on out of your system. Everything that went wrong and who did you bad and how everybody hates you and your mama never loved you. Go ahead, get it all out. And she said, and then that's it. Next time, we're not talking about any of that. Right. We're talking about where you want to go, who you want to be, because none of that is going to get you where you want to be. And so I remember when she would say that from the pulpit and people would be, you know, somewhat taken aback because it sounds to people like you're saying um, your story doesn't matter. Right. Or, you know, like, but you're being, you know, you're not being compassionate if you don't hear my story. And she's like, well. I don't need to be compassionate over and over. The real compassion is if I help you get up out of that. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's the, the way in New Thought we, you know, you want to turn something around. We're not going to keep looking at the problem, expecting there to be a solution there. Right. So as we, you know, figure out how we're going to be more visible, I think it's important for us to come up with some real, I don't know, what Reverend Anna Price said, some sexy ways of talking about it so that young people want to yeah. come in and see what this thing is. Well, you know, you know, it's kind of funny. Years ago, Dr. Blaine Mays was uh, and it, um, had me come down to Phoenix to speak at one of the INTA conferences. He's deceased now for the mm-hmm. last couple of years. He was, a, he was a good buddy. He was an old school friend of Reverend Coleman's. Mm-hmm. And so I come down there and I'm at the Congress, and it's not a lot of people there. You know, normally the first day somebody shows up, it might be 80 people. And then, you know, it dwindles down, dwindles down, because a lot of times you're talking primarily to other ministers, practitioners, teachers, and authors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was some young guys that were working the sound, the audio. And it was funny because I'm watching them, and they're at the front to the side of the stage, now the person's presenting, but they you know, they just hear one speaker after the next, after the next, after the next. So I'm sure they probably came from somebody's church. And I got up to speak and I said, Hey guys, you know, if you want to learn how to get what you want, if you want to learn how to prosper, if you want to learn how to create success, I just went on this little tangent. I said, You need to pay attention to what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. And they zeroed in on me. 
because now I'm talking their language. Right. You know, they're like, okay, right. show me how to make this work. So right. it, was, it was it was it was interesting because you know they had heard all these people. And I'm not saying that the other speakers weren't good. You know, I will say that I was exceptional. I, you know, I, have, no, <laughs> I have no problem bragging. <laughs> okay. I, I'm I'm like Muhammad Ali. It's not bragging if you can back it up. I don't think he said uh -huh. it exactly like that, but hey, uh -huh. if you're gonna if you're gonna put it out there, you better be able to back it up. And it, it dawned on me just how quickly we don't realize that the whole self-help movement was created out of New Thought. Napoleon Hill studied New Thought. Mm -hmm. uh, Norman Vincent Peale studied New Thought. Right. And uh, 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 trying to think of some other names, but recently I was on the internet and I'm watching this Tony Robbins challenge. I don't know if you saw that on Facebook. He was doing the seven-day challenge where he's coming on and he has tons of people, probably hundreds of thousands if not a million people were just following him for seven days teaching different subjects so dr martin he actually says you know when i started this work i had to work on my mind i had to get myself in the state he said when i got exposed to the uh self-help movement the first book i bought and read that helped me change my belief system was the magic of believing by claude bristol i'm like whoa part that is a pure <laughs> new thought book Right, doesn't it sometimes Robbins. just make you right? It makes you look two or three times like, did he just say? Yeah, pure new <laughs> right? thought book. But here's the thing: we don't claim the message yeah. in a way that exactly the, right. When I, so you know, I've heard a lot of self-help people. You know, when I talk to people, and because I go to seminars, workshops, I go anywhere where people are doing good stuff. That's my mo. And when I tell people, for instance, that Les Brown is an ordained new thought minister, they're shocked because mm -hmm. people don't know, don't know that he's a minister. Right. Right. And, because people won't mention it. Like, yeah. you know, Yama Van Zandt doesn't really talk about that. Right. Um, ben Vereen, he didn't really talk about that. I mean, well, he became, he, he did, but, but after a while, you know, so there are people, it's in the midst. Right. right. And, but, but we've just been so, hush hush about it and that's yeah that new thought elitism or not wanting to get our hands dirty I don't know but I you know what I was thinking last night actually it's gonna sound maybe strange but I'm gonna just say it <laughs> um you know how the Scientologists do yeah they get their the... go ahead I'll say get somebody in Hollywood to promote us. <laughs> well, not well. We could because there are plenty of people in Hollywood who are using New Thought principles, and I know because I see them at Agape. I yeah. know you. So, so, uh, but no, not exactly that. I don't know that could work. But I mean, the Scientologists have their centers in various, probably uh, most major cities, I would imagine, and around the world. And what do they do? They say we can help you improve your life. There's even Dianetics commercials on television. Mm -hmm. And they talk to people about how to improve their life. They don't talk about joining Scientology as a religion because so many people would, you know, run in fear. <laughs> um, but, well, for one, Dianetics as a book is a very helpful text in terms of helping people psychologically and as a personal development kind of text. So... One can read and study Dianetics without being a Scientologist, I should say. It's kind of like reading the Bible without going to Christian church. So 
soap for anybody who's listening and are horrified and talking about that. But but these things can be separated from one another, the teaching and then the establishment that's grown up around it. But what the Scientologists do is they say, here, I can help you with your life. And so they welcome people into their centers, to, to they're in neighborhoods, right? And they, they just talk about how they're going to help people. And they have the, a process, you know, they, they, they call it auditing. And what is auditing but helping people let go of their negative thought patterns? Uh, it's counseling. Right. It's, it's, it's a form. Right. It's a form of spiritual counseling. Ask you question, exactly. question, question, question. Uh, exactly. Doctor Martin, we have a caller, so I don't want to make sure oh. that I don't miss this person here. Let okay. me bring this person on. Hi, Porter. Hey, good morning, uh, Reverend Galen and uh, Doctor Martin. Uh, really been um, enjoying uh, the conversation about uh, Black Lives Matter and the New Thought responses. And there were a couple of things that. Uh, both of you guys kind of hit on in terms of, um, uh, you know, if I interpret it correctly, new thought kind of claiming some of the some of the ground and taking the message of uh, uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement as part of um, uh, spreading the message uh, of new thought, you know, and how the mm-hmm. two of those. Uh, can work together, but you all kind of hit on a couple of things in terms of um, uh, both the historical implications of, of doing that and and sort of the um, the distinction between kind of promoting it as a as opposed to much of the uh, the approach which has been you know where we stress humility in terms of what we teach and you know self development self improvement. Um, you know, that it's applying the principles, but at the same time not wanting to, uh, you know, have it be or seemingly be ego-driven. So, you know, how do you kind of promote and market and do all those kinds of things to spread the message and at the same time kind of keep the message, you know, pure, if if, if, if that makes mm-hmm. any sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for calling. Thanks for asking. Um, well, I would say, you know, it's all in our mindset about what we imagine we're doing, right? We're not, mm-hmm. it's not for the self-promotion, uh, yeah. like some of the, you know, we might say some of the televangelists, for example, who seem right, to be at least right. partially okay. in it for their own glorification. But we would come at it from the perspective that this is how we do the work. Those mm-hmm. of us who are uh, alive at this time who have awakened to this type of spirituality, it's, a, it's, it's incumbent upon us to reach out in that way, just as if we might, you know, have a soup kitchen, for example. But, you know, to meet a very basic human need, it would come from a spirit of, yeah, this isn't about me. This is about helping other people become enlightened too, right? So it, it's just, a, it's just our, right. our, our own mindset and intention around it, I think. We are doing this for... Yeah, I'm at this Catholic university, and they it's a particular Jesuit one, and they always say, for the greater glory. Mm-hmm. It's all for the greater glory, to just borrow that language. Yeah, no, great. Well, thank you know, you and, for, and the other thing you, you, you kind of mentioned about you, imagination, using, you know, using our imagination and, and kind of imagining, um, you know, using mm-hmm. that spiritual power that we have to see ourselves or see our life, world, and affairs, um, you know, in, 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 in a manner in which we would, you know, be successful or be healthy, uh, be in good relationships, and and mm-hmm. kind of not living in the um, the complaints, as it were. Right, and and I see that as being so helpful 
potential, well, helpful and potentially so for, for, um, what should I say? I was going to say young people, but not just, people who are just stuck in a mindset that um, life is stacked against us, that my relationships don't work out, all men are like this, all women are like that, I can never get ahead. So to how do we interrupt that pattern? Because mm-hmm. we know where that's headed, right? You're just focusing on something. And, yeah, you're going to attract, I always say, what vibrational neighborhood do you live in? You're going to attract the other things that live in that neighborhood. So do you want more of that stuff? Or would you like to move right. to a new neighborhood? You know, because people will say, well, if I end up in a car accident, it's not like I was thinking about a car accident, right, in a very simplistic right. way. Mm-hmm. No, but you're hovering around places a vibration where chaos is happening and then you got to work through the chaos. So how about moving into a new neighborhood where you're less likely to have that kind of a thing? So, yeah, I think of us as as being being able to help people interrupt those negative patterns that keep them stuck in life. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you calling in, Porter. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Take care. You too. Uh, so I have uh, Dr. Martin. I have one comment and uh, and one question before we end because we have about five minutes. I okay. want to add one thing to the conversation about uh, New Thought being invisible. New Thought is the only major new religion that I know that has no organized system of presenting the message to people. In other words, for mm-hmm. instance, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when Baptists and Pentecostal and Word of Faith folks, they just start creating their own colleges and universities. Right. Uh, you know, you can, you know, people can get in it younger, at a younger age. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, n- most of the time people who are in New Thought, it, they're not like me. I, I was licensed to teach New Thought at 25. That's rare. Mm-hmm. Exceptionally rare. And, uh, you know, therefore, people tend to get it at the at the later stages of their life and leadership. And that creates a dynamic to where we are not necessarily always getting people's prime work years, not to mention the fact that, you know, for instance, you know, you can go to school for years. I mean, the amount of classes that I took to become a a new thought minister in UFBL, Uh but. The you know, but it wouldn't be viewed the same way as if I went to University of Chicago or DePaul mm-hmm. University, mm-hmm. even though you're taking you know sometimes even a more vigorous uh, uh, coursework, <laughs> but it, the accreditation isn't the same. It, you know, right. like you you leave New Thought and it's useless. You're trying to get a you know you can take your degree anywhere. Right, right, anywhere. right, right. We and so we have to. I thought you were about to say something. I can't hear you. Dr. Martin, I can't hear you. Okay. Uh, call it seems like I'm having a little hiccup here um, because I can't hear. Uh, Hello? Yeah, you're back. I don't know what happened. Yes, I don't know what happened either. <laughs> okay. Well, you, you were, yeah. You were saying... And we are, um, go ahead. No, I was saying we just got to make it quick because we only got a couple of minutes. Oh, um, yeah, I'm sorry. What was I saying there at the end? 
Um, I don't even remember now because once I didn't hear you, I was like, wait a minute. Oh, I was talking about the fact that we don't have universities and, oh, yeah, right, right, right. and things of that nature. Because you came, it's hard to make a career in New Thought and branch out like you can as a Baptist, a Catholic, uh, right. a Pentecostal. Well, you know, what I was going to say is that that's where uh, that model, that Scientology model started to come to me because we, instead of seeking validation from other sources, we would just do it ourselves in terms of our own, I don't know, call it a community center or whatever we would yeah. call it or an extension of somebody's church. And the, the leadership is already internal. We don't really need for somebody else to recognize it, um, except in terms of getting into the media, which I think would be necessary on some levels, you know, like we saw Marianne Williamson doing it, but to bring people in at a young age, you know, as children and not teaching religion per se, because some parents are going to freak out about that, but, you know, showing where these principles help young people do better in school, do better in athletics, which we know in sports, part of, part of helping people be better athletes is mindset. Yeah. Right. So even something like that, starting on an athletic, in a, in a, in that way, or going, working with coaches, you know, and then it's like, oh, you know what, the minister from down the street is going to come and talk to us today, you know, that kind of thing, or, you know, the minister is going to help us work on, you know, what to do when we're uh, feeling bad about ourselves, or, you know, that kind of thing will help in communities and, and start to build, and then we don't really have to worry about, you know, sort of outside validation of our leadership and Things. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, we have the Johnny Coleman Institute, which I run in Chicago. Dr. Anna Price runs the Johnny Coleman Theological Seminary because Reverend Coleman was like, we'll just do our own thing. Now we have about 30 seconds left. Uh, what are you up to? What what should people look forward to what you to what you have coming down the pike? Well, um, more interviews like this across the media. I've just been invited to write some articles in some media outlets. So I'm going to be talking about New Thought, Black people and New Thought more. Um, it's very interesting to me that that has come to me at this point. Like I just attracted this uh, opportunity to speak in the media more, particularly about New Thought. It seems more and more people are finding that book, Beyond Christianity. Uh, I'm, you know, as I said, I'm, you can find me online, drdarnese.com, through all social media. I'm working on a new book. Um, it's going to be called, I think... We're running out of time. Okay, sorry. This is the magic and, and new thought. All right, so make sure you go to her website, connect with her. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard. And sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.